Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress. We've been talking a lot on the show about Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and his deeply flawed and pandering Stop Woke Act, his performative war against critical race theory in public schools, even though it's not taught in public schools, his restricting of books about the black experience. Is this overt racism? Is this performative racism for votes? Is there even a difference anymore? In a time when it seems that the denial of racism is a whole new form of racism, it has been so inspiring to remember that there are activists and citizens and legislators of all backgrounds on the ground in Florida rising up against it. We hear the awful things Ron DeSantis does on the news. We don't hear about the people who are resisting in his own state, the people who are reminding us that black history is American history and it needs to be treated as such for all of our well-being. And one of the legislators who was standing with our good friend Reverend Al Sharpton in protest last week at the state capitol was State Representative Diane Hart serving House District 63 in the Florida House. She's someone who grew up in the segregated South and continues to fight for justice and dignity for all Floridians, for all Americans. She's worked to raise awareness about issues of hunger, affordable housing, economic development, to bring a Awareness to violence in the communities. It is such a pleasure to welcome Representative Hart to SiriusXM. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Well, Sounds like thank- a person. <laughs> Thank you so much for your wonderful service. It was very inspiring to see you with uh, with my old friend, Reverend Al. Um, I, I have to say, Representative, for a long time, I, I think I was guilty of believing that Governor DeSantis was just flirting with white nationalism to appeal to Trump voters. I, I think I was wrong. It does appear he's going all in. He is going all in. I, too, thought, well, this will pass. But I can tell you, he's going all in. But you know what's so ironic? Here you are. We're having a, he's having a black history program at our house. And I call it our house because it's the people's house where he lives. And they invited me to come to the black history program. But if my history has no value, why are you even having a program? So I'm just kind of confused about this man and where he really is. But you know, what's so scary about this is so many other states are following him. Exactly. The scary part. So this is a national push to basically obliterate black history, which is crazy. Black history is a part of American history. This is all of our history together. Every day I'm walking around over here and I'm like, God just gave me home. 
what is really happening in the state of Florida? I mean, that's the question, right? How serious are these political stunts? I get that everything this man does is in service of his political ambitions. I understand that. I get it. I know what he's doing. But we're in this time where it seems like politicians on the right and many of our brothers and sisters on the right are not offended by racism. They're much more offended by protests against racism. Or or if I've said, they're more offended by Colin Kaepernick's knee than Derek Chauvin's knee. And, and time and time again, it just seems like the same people who want to deny teaching the history of January 6th are the people who are trying to deny the teaching of slavery and of the apartheid that existed in our country until the 1960s. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's very true what you say. But, you know, I keep thinking about it. Remember, prior to Donald Trump coming into office, even if you were open racist, you would not do it publicly. You would not. You would be kind to people in public. Now people are not even kind in public. And we're, you know, we try to be friendly here in the House, but so many times there are things that are said, even in the, on the House floor, that upsets me. And I have to remind myself that, you know what, when they talk about being uncomfortable, and I tell my colleagues in the House, I'm uncomfortable about some of the things that you all say right here. But prior mm-hmm. to Trump, things that would never have been said publicly. So he kind of opened the door for people who had that racist mentality somewhere hidden back there He said, you know what? I can now let out whatever I want to say, and it's okay. Then who comes along but our governor, Santis, who says, say what you like and do what you want, and let me show you all what I'm going to do. And I kind of agree with you. Sometimes I think, well, it's his way of getting free publicity, on the news, but this goes deeper than that. This man is going into effect that are going to take a minimum of four years before you can even see what happens with the next electorate, the next um, session. We don't know what's going to happen, but every day we're being faced with laws that are just crazy up here. And it's crazy. It takes so much out of you. You go home every night feeling like you've just been through a battle. And that should not be what this Florida House should be about. It's it's so true. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned uh, the former host of Celebrity Apprentice, because I, I trace a lot of this new era of acceptable public racism to his years, years spent claiming in front of any microphone he could hundreds of times that the first black president wasn't really one of us. And with no evidence whatsoever, just spread this racist smear everywhere he could and paid absolutely no cost for it. The media let him off. Fox News booked every racist birther they could find crawling out from under a rock for years. And when the culture seemed to decide this was acceptable and there'd be no repercussions, it opened the floodgates for this socially acceptable conservative white racism. And I'm I'm, I'm thinking of your state with both the Stop Woke Act, which is ridiculous and as ridiculous as its name, and the Don't Say Gay Bill, which is very fairly tagged by that. They, they, it seems that those of, out, those of us outside your beautiful state, it seems like both of these bills do the same thing. Um, it allows very fragile, conservative Caucasians to sue anyone for saying anything that might make the child of a racist uncomfortable about the truth for five minutes. Am I being unfair in these characterizations? No, you're absolutely being truthful. And I talk about that all the time with my colleagues. When you talk about being uncomfortable, 
Just think that how uncomfortable it is for me to know that I, I myself, I'm 67, had to endure colored bathrooms and colored only water fountains. That's uncomfortable, but it's a story to be told. And I'm not blaming the people here in this house with me for what their great grandparents may have done, but it is a story that needs to be told. Our children deserve to know, both black, white, Hispanic, all children deserve to know what happened in this country. It's not to make them feel uncomfortable, it's to tell the truth. And I, you know, in one of my closing, as I said on the house floor, well, is it because you think that your grandfather's picture will be in a book? And then people will know where the family really was. So is that why you, you're doing all of this? You want us to not read certain books. How do you pull 125 books out of a library and say it's because there may be a half a chapter on something about slavery? You pull exactly. the book. Or it might just be a person writing your own autobiography. And I'm telling you how I struggle to get where I am because of racism. And you pull the book. The man has lost his mind. And everybody that follows this madness, they need to be checked. We're, we're living in crucial times. I think that's part of why we see so much violence going on with these shootings. It, it's like when they went to say whatever you want to say about whomever, everything began to go straight to we know where. You're, you're exactly right. But it, it seems like they're completely interconnected. I mean, systemic poverty and systemic racism have always gone hand in hand in this country. And it seems the violence is a symptom of the problem rather than the problem itself. And it's a preventable problem and a preventable symptom. You know, when we sit here on these, in this chamber and we talk about things that will help people and we don't deal with it, as opposed to that, we, stop, we talk about don't say gay. We talk about diversion, equity and inclusion must not, you must not have those type of departments at your universities, businesses, don't teach your people how to treat other people fairly. We, we've lost it. We should be here helping with that poverty. Because there are things we could do. Rental, rent, rents are skyrocketing. We have a housing bill that's gonna be a good bill, but cities and municipalities cannot touch rent control period for the next 10 years. So as opposed to all of this madness that this governor is talking about, why are we not talking about housing, insurance, all the things that directly impact black people that's causing some of this violence that's exactly. happening around this country. So, I mean, especially in Florida. And, 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 you know, in honesty, it's, it's affecting low-income white people, too. And I give you so much credit for fighting for the dignity of all your constituents and all the people of Florida. And, and with Ron DeSantis, again, it seems like everything we're seeing is a political stunt. I, I get what he's doing. I, I think it's uh, calculated. I think it's poor calculation because it seems like he's running really, really hard to get the Donald Trump base on his side and hasn't really paid attention to how the general election has gone in 2018, 2020, or 2022. And kudos to him. I hope he doesn't pay any attention. He will, be rid of, will yeah. not be president of these United States. And you know, the sad part is you know that there's a bill coming that will allow him not to have to resign while he runs. So we're going to be stuck with him if he doesn't win. I know. And he I won't know. win it. This country is not going to allow another Donald Trump in that White House. They, I think they got their fill of what complete idiotic 
oh, logic here to the other meaning to it will do to this country. Listen, I'm so grateful that we have people who realize there's more to this politics than all of this madness that he's doing. People yes. around the country are reaching out to us here in Florida saying, listen, what can we do to help you? But you know what? Unless we change what our House looks like and what our Senate looks like, we're going to have some issues. But we, one thing we can do, we can take that governor's mansion and everything coming up out of this House and Senate can be vetoed. We can roll back some madness with education. Who does not want their children to be able to take advanced courses going into college? Right. Exactly. All, and the crazy part is black, white, Hispanic, they are signing up for it. It's volunteer. Nobody's making you do it. These kids want to know what happened in this country prior to their birth. They're interested in it. And for us to not want to allow it, it's ridiculous. It's just utterly ridiculous. No, you're so right. There's so many real problems affecting so many people. And Ron DeSantis is promising to protect all of us from transgender children who just want to play sports. That's the kind of performative governance we're looking at. And I want to crystallize this. You signed a letter. Uh, it was signed by the Democratic leaders of the state house and the legislative Black Caucus to Governor DeSantis, where last month you asked very simply for flags to be lowered to commemorate the Rosewood massacre, where a black town, mostly black town in Levy County was destroyed in a fit of mass violence and murder by a white mob. And I, I want to quote the letter you wrote, we cannot undo the sins of the past, nor should we hide from them. However, it is critical that we remember these acts clearly honor those who are lost or wronged and do the work to ensure that events like this are never repeated. I want that letter to go national because you're talking exactly about pushing back against these lies about critical race theory, these lies about voter fraud. I mean, you're doing the work right there on the ground. And it's just about teaching people the truth about history. And the truth about history is not designed to make conservative white people feel happy. <laughs> that is true. But, the, you know, it's just really to make people understand what we've endured right here in our own country. And now what we're enduring right here in this wonderful free state of Florida that's absolutely not free by any stretch of the imagination. Not free to say what you want, not free to do and go about your business, whether you be gay, straight, or other. Here you are, you don't want our children to, to talk about anything that will make them uncomfortable because I'm going home and tell my mom and my teacher will probably get suspended or lose their teaching certificate. My school will be penalized and you're going to take away some of my money. This is madness. There's nothing wrong with telling the truth. And when he refused to lower the flags, we never heard anything else about it. But people died because of racism, because somebody felt like, and they did not have proof that some black man whistled at a, no, did something to a white lady in an elevator. Really? But you had no proof. But you go to a town and you burn down a complete town. Yeah. What I want you all to understand is I was at the Rosewood celebration at a stretch of land that a black physician has purchased. And it's a five acre track and they want to put a park there. Well, how about as the man was trying to just clear his land, people were coming by saying racist things to him. This is 2023. We're not talking about 
1823, they tried to run him over while he was trying to clear his land. I, for one, would have thought, you would not have done this to a gentleman just because he bought a piece of land in Rosewood. Only mm-hmm. black plot in that area where the homes were burned down. It sits right next to the railroad tracks. Tracks have been taken up, but it was insane. You could literally feel the presence of that city just being yes. there. So for us to ask the governor of the Lord, uh, black, really? Or to even mention it. He said nothing about it. Did not work. But guess what? It won't stop us. We will continue to fight because we know that there are good people everywhere. And this just doesn't impact black people. So please, people, don't misunderstand me because I am the Black Caucus Chair. I do represent 25 black members. However, I represent the 22 million people around this state of Florida. Whatever I want in legislature, in this legislature, will directly impact everybody. So it's not about me just being black. It's about me being a legislator to do what's right by people. That's what we're sitting here to do. And this governor does not make it easy, nor does this legislature and our leadership make it easy for us to do that. I mean, the denial of the existence of institutionalized racism is exactly how institutionalized racism perpetuates itself. And you're someone who has had the experience of drinking at a segregated water fountain in your youth. I'm fascinated by your perspective on where we're at right now, because it's very scary seeing these forces organize and amass. But honestly, Representative, I don't I don't see them being able to win. They can maybe win a couple of elections here and there. But I think that there's more of us. There's just more people who are outraged by this and recognize it for the theater and stunt that it is. Are you more hopeful or more fearful right now? No, you know, I'm fearful here in the state of Florida. We've had some of our legislators who've gotten some threatening phone calls. They've had some people to show up at their offices. So I'm fearful for those folks. But no, I'm hopeful. I believe that we have more God-fearing people that believe in what's doing and believe in doing what's right as opposed to this madness. Now, don't misunderstand me. These folk have been on the rocks for years. Hmm. They've been hidden back in little small towns, rural little cities that many of us never even think about or haven't passed through. And they're raising their heads. But I believe that people like yourself and me and others, we will not stop this fight. And they can't win. We're not going to allow them to win. This is a free country. We're not going to let them take it back. We're not going back into slavery, no matter what our governor does or thinks or whatever laws he puts out. We have got to continue to move forward, period. And we're going to do that here in Florida and around this nation. State Representative Diane Hart serves the House District 63 in the Florida House. It is such a pleasure to speak with you. I would love to have you back on the show anytime and cover more of the areas affecting Florida, because increasingly they are the issues that affect us all. Thank you for your service. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. What a pleasure. Please come back and see us. I'd love to go even deeper. You're working on a lot of great things that uh, from hunger to violence. And we'd love to have you back. Yes, we absolutely have to get together. Brilliant. What an honor. Thank you. And we'll be right back. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. 
There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back. It's taken some time, but America has just about fully claimed Eugene Levy from Canada. We love Canada. We revere SCTV. But somewhere in between the Christopher Guest films and the American Pie films, over 60 film credits, playing Max Yasger for Ang Lee and then Chitts Creek and all the Emmys, America silently annexed Eugene Levy. And now one of our finest character actors has unexpectedly for the first time become an on-camera host playing himself in the excellent new Apple TV series, The Reluctant Traveler, a travel show featuring a man who hates when it's too hot or cold, doesn't like airports, doesn't like sightseeing, who is made to travel to Costa Rica, Finland, Italy, Japan, South Africa, driving husky teams, traveling in the jungle, and doing unspeakable things involving an elephant. It's widely hailed as a terrific travel show. I think it's secretly an improv comedy challenge. It is a great pleasure to welcome a bona fide Schmengi brother, Eugene Levy. Hello. Hey, that's Hi. what I call an intro. <laughs> well, thank you very oh. much. <laughs> hey. I, I wanted thank to wrap you. it up in time so you could participate in the interview. Um, but <laughs> honestly, I think this is such a natural progression for you comedically. That's what I was so thrilled to see, because I do think in many ways, this show is the ultimate improv challenge. You have to say yes in improv, and you are made to say yes to many things. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's actually a great uh, a great point, because one one of the uh, things I was most uh, nervous about was the fact that, you know, I've never done anything like this before. It's the uh, it's a, it, it is a first for me being on camera as uh, myself, something that always terrified me. And I guess improv does kind of, you know, play play into this because I'm talking to a lot of people and, and in, in all these uh, locations that I'm that I'm traveling to. So, you know, it's kind of like doing a scene where you have to keep it going, except it's it's actually real. Yes. And uh, what I'm finding is which is good for me is is that you know in talking to these people I'm truly interested and finding myself truly interested in what they're saying so that kind of propels the conversation as well you know I don't don't really have to rely on any improv tricks to kind of you know kind of keep this going but right certainly was a great follow up to Shit's Creek for me in terms of kind of the perfect vehicle to be doing right now because it was so different and yet they're both shows about how comedy comes from being evicted from your comfort zone. I mean, both of the shows are loosely about that. Yeah. Well, it does give me an opportunity to do things that I truly love, which is react. You know, as being a reactive performer, you know, there are so many things that are happening in, in these episodes that I I do get a chance to, you know, to react to kind of maybe directly to the audience, which, yes. 
Yeah, it lets them know exactly what's going on in my head. I mean, I've waited many years to watch you break the fourth wall. So for me, as a as a comedian, as a fan of comedy, you know, I think of you working opposite Andrea Martin or working opposite Chris Guest or working opposite Catherine O'Hara. To watch you sharing all your scenes with non-actors, it had me feeling quite a lot about how your comfort zone as a performer seems to be outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, well, it it's been good for me. It's been good for me because as you know, as a person, I I've spent my career, of course, playing other people. And you know, the further removed these characters that I play are from who I am, the the more comfortable exactly. I was. The closer it because they they come to me, the more nerve-wracking it actually is. So, this was a good test for me because you know i i had to be front and center on this show which means you've got to you got to kind of rally you've yes. got to rally the troops in here and you know figure out what it is i have and what i don't have to be able to do this and i think the the bottom line of the whole thing was just basically honesty yeah and being being honest with myself in all the situations that you know i'm presented with in the show and I think that's really what what the core of this thing is for me. It's really it's really honesty in terms of an enjoyment factor. Truly, it's not so much I hate doing this and I hate <laughs> doing this. It's just the honesty of how much you truly enjoy it or don't enjoy it. And to be able to say you don't enjoy something, you know, you don't enjoy traveling. It's just not a popular thing to be able to say. And a lot of people wouldn't say it, even though they believe it. Well, I, I've never heard the word curmudgeon used against you as often as I have in the promotional tour for this show. But I think it seems like in, in every episode, there's always a definite arc of your displeasure. And the climax always seems to be the unguarded smile. I mean, for me, the high point emotionally of every show is watching the connections you make with these people you would never ordinarily meet and also watching you achieve fun in a show that you turned down quite emphatically before they wore you down and made you take it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I turned it down because the it wasn't about the reluctant the reluctance aspect of this thing. It was they called me about hosting a travel show about hotels. And I think it was called Room with a View when when they pitched it to me. But they didn't really know Whatever they saw in me in terms of personality that they thought would make a good host, I, I can't honestly tell you what that is. But what they, didn't, what they didn't know was that I'm to be hosting a show and to be honest about it, there were things they they didn't know, which is that I'm, you know, I I don't, I'm not an explorer. You know, I hate exploring. I'm not comfortable with it. I'm not a curious person, and I, I of course don't have a great sense of adventure. So I had to be honest with myself saying, why would I be hosting a show like this? Why why would I be doing it? Yeah. I think there are other people who could do it better, but and I was explaining all my reasons to them. Of course. And they were laughing on the other end and you know, cuz I was trying to keep it light, trying to And so they're the ones that said well, after that conversation they said, "Well, that's the show that that he actually doesn't like traveling." He's not fond of it, but that's the that's the point of it. That's what's going to give the show personality. So they pitched that to me on a subsequent call, and I understood the premise. And I said, okay, I get why that could be 
funny. And I also know that I can be myself on the show. I don't have to yes. love everything. I can honestly say, I don't care to do this or I don't really love doing this. And that was a turning point for me. That's why I agreed to do it. And, you know, that's why it's uh, a it's a it's a it's I think the finest comedy show I've seen in a while. That's not joke driven. It's all just from your reactions and it's all just oh, from yeah. the discoveries. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it is true. It's not a joke driven show. You know, we we didn't set out to make a funny travel show. That's not the point. There are other people who could do that better. It's a legitimate travel show. Beautifully done. Great production values. Yeah. It looks gorgeous. It really does, except it has me. And for some reason, I think just me being me, who I am, some people find uh, funny, funnier than I do, actually. So that's that's kind of the natural aspect of this thing. And again, plays into the honesty factor, which is what I think is, again, at the core of the show. I know that following the laws of God uh, and uh, disobeying them and sticking one of your hands inside an elephant to obtain a stool sample was, you said, one of your worst experiences. What what was worse, sir, having to do it or having to retell the story so many times on the press tour? Because it, it just seems like it never gets... I, I got to be honest. I, I, it's just telling the same story. Yes. It is. I... You know, I, I just, you know, I, I I get to a point where I, you know, somebody shut me up. I get tired of listening, you know, to my own, you know, voice. But I keep forgetting that, you know, I'm telling kind of the same story. Or and let's put it this way. There are only so many ways you can answer the same question, kind of. of course. You know, but, you know, not everybody's reading every uh, publication that's coming out. They're only reading what they're buying. And that's like one story. So I got I have to remember that, too. But <laughs> but it is it's much more painful for me to, you know, keep going over the same stuff than rather than actually, you know, putting my uh, my arm up, uh, you know, an elephant's uh, <laughs> and just to try and get try and get a, a stool sample. But the, yeah. a lot of great things that I got to try on this show that, again, Trying it was the key thing, to be able to try it and then form an opinion. Exactly. You like it or you don't like it. You like going on safari, you don't like going on safari. And before the show, I would I would have just said, you know what, would rather not go. Don't think I'm going to enjoy it, but, you know, send me a postcard. I guess it beats having to answer all those questions about whether Jim's dad ended up with Stifler's mom that I know you always get. The, the, <laughs> the series is called The Reluctant Traveler with Eugene Levy. It's a great pleasure to have you here. And I'm really excited for the Scorsese film about SCTV. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, John. Enjoyable. Thanks. We'll be right back. And we are back and welcome to it. I am so excited to welcome Sebastian Roche back to the program. He's someone I've admired for a long time. He's a French-Scottish actor known for his very impressive work in theater, film, and TV. The man speaks English, French, Italian, and Spanish, and that's just the ones we know of. <laughs> uh, he studied at the prestigious uh, French National Academy of Dramatic Art. His uh, credits include playing opposite Al Pacino and Salome on Broadway, which I saw, crazy great show. And I believe his first film role, and I didn't get to ask about this last time, was opposite Daniel Day-Lewis. 
Lewis in Last of the Mohicans. He's had so many great film roles over the year, including opposite Heath Ledger and Roar, opposite De Niro in 15 Minutes, starring alongside Anthony Hopkins and Angelina Jolie in Beowulf. I could go on and on, as well as the great TV credits, Odyssey 5. You've seen him, of course, on Supernatural. I could talk all day about the greatest villains. He's played an angel. He's played a Nazi, a cardinal, a vampire, the angel Balthazar on Supernatural, the father of the original vampire. And as I've said, in the last great TV show, I'm sorry, the first great TV show of 2023, the Harrison Ford Helen Mirren series for Paramount Plus, 1923, Mr. Rache plays the most evil priest I've ever seen in a TV show or film because it deals with an ugly part of North America's history that is only beginning to face a reckoning, the abuse and often murder of indigenous children in residential schools. There is nothing that can compare you for the power of his plot line on this wonderful new show. It is a great pleasure to welcome Sebastian Roche back to Sirius XM. Hello, sir. Hello, how are you? Thank you so much for this introduction. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank and you so much. <laughs> it's always a pleasure, you know, to, to talk to you and uh, to listen to your show and and to read what you what you write to as well. So um, always a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm very grateful to have you say that because I love your work. I find your career to be fascinating. I find your life to be fascinating. And honestly, I just want to have you as often as I can so I can work on somehow having an impression of your accent. Because my God, you've been told this, you have the greatest accent. I guess it allows you to play everything. You can do so many voices and so many regionalisms. Yeah, it's, I've been very fortunate with that. I think it's it's growing up bilingually, you know, uh, growing, growing up in French and English. And my father spoke many languages and then, you know, learning Spanish and Italian. It enables you to, to have a sort of ear for language, a bit like a musician has an ear for, you know, partition or or instruments. You know, some musicians can jump from instrument to instrument. For me, in my case, it's like I can really mimic accents really well, even those that I don't know, even certain languages I can't speak. I, can, I think I can mimic them so well that, yeah, it's been part of my... Um, Palette, let's say, uh, <laughs> as an actor, it's been very, very uh, helpful and useful and and wonderful actually to, you know, to jump into these these different nationalities, different culture, cultural characters. Uh, yes. might I say, and and it's allowed you to play angels and Nazis with equal ease. So. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I think I've played. Yeah, I've played Jesus. I've played yes, the angel Gabriel. I've played John the Baptist, the angel Balthazar, <laughs> a fictional <laughs> angel. But uh, yeah, it's it's I've, I I have quite a few uh, religious characters in my in my uh, trove of and of course you know be, being a, a Nazi on man in the high castle. But but yes. here's what I I had to ask you about. And I didn't get to ask you about this last time on the show. Yes. I know that you were born in Paris. Your father's French. Your mother was yeah. Scottish. But is it true that you pretty much for your entire teenage life lived on a sailboat with your parents and your brothers? Yes, yes. So for, from the age of 12, my my age of 12, my father basically decided to sell everything, move away from his corporate life and decided to buy a sailboat. And we took off for six years on a sailing boat, a bare bones sailing boat, I might say. Uh, you know, this was the, an age before before the internet, before cell phones or anything. We we had We basically had the radio on board with BBC World Service and Radio 4 and and uh, yeah, we set off on the, not the seven seas, you know, a few seas. We did the whole Mediterranean, west coast of Africa, crossed the Atlantic, you know, the Canaries, crossed the Atlantic to the Caribbean. And, and then from the Caribbean, you know, sort of explored South America and 
and the whole Caribbean, yeah, not the whole Caribbean Sea, but a, a lot of it. So it was uh, an extraordinary adventure, you know, and, and an apprenticeship of life, actually. It, it, it's the best thing that happened to me. I, I it's, have to it's, admit. seems like an enchanted life for, for someone who was to become an artist. I can, I, I can see why you didn't become a word processor or an accountant after all that. But, <laughs> but I mean, what was, may I, can I ask more? Because I'm curious, what was yeah. school for you between the ages of 12 and 18 living on this so, boat? Yes, yeah, so it was organized actually with the Ministry of uh, Education. You know, they sent you a sort of curriculum of 20 steps, you know, that you would fill out and you'd have French, literature, geography, history, math, etc. And you would fill them out, send them by mail. You know, I would get them at, at a thing called Post Restant, you know, which is like they send it by post to Martinique mostly. And uh, yeah, I would send my my curriculum as much as I could. <laughs> you know, I was. It was difficult. You know, I had to work in the mornings. I would go spearfishing because I would go spearfishing. I'd go spearfishing spear yeah. <laughs> spear for lunch. You know, because <laughs> I, I basically uh, developed a passion for spearfishing and free diving and shell collecting. So I would go spearfishing very early in the morning because that's the best time to go spearfishing, uh, and you know, just before sunset. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like, "What, what would you like? Uh, lobster? What, <laughs> grouper? What would you like?" And then I would come back, do my homework. And then, you know, I had the, the day was free, you know, to continue uh, my Caribbean adventures. You know, well, it was really a, a blessed time, I have to admit. I read voraciously, too. My father had tons of books on the boats and my grandparents would send books, you know, uh, to different anchorage, uh, different ports. So I really uh, devoured my pastime was devouring encyclopedias. You remember those thick encyclopedias with beautiful yes. photos and everything? And I would devour that. And I would devour atlases of the world, too. That would be, you know, I can I can pinpoint any capital in the world now. <laughs> Thanks to my brother and I, you know, sort of quizzing each other basically on a daily basis. I would guess that it's hard to form lasting friendships as a teenager when you're living like that, but it certainly doesn't seem like you were lonely. It seems like you were constantly meeting new people of different cultures and nationalities. Yes, that was the wonderful thing. We would, you know, you, yeah, it's true. I mean, you, you have friendships that last because you will meet some other boaters along the way. You know, you'll be in Martinique and then you'll find them suddenly at a in Puerto Mochima in Venezuela, you know, or some islands lost off the coast of Venezuela. It's really interesting in that respect. But yeah, you do learn to make friendships very quickly. And so there's a real richness to it. You know, I, I also spent some time in a, in a, in a school in Trois-Îles, in like this really sort of country-like little village. And I was the only white boy, you know, in a whole school of, of people from the from Martinique and learned Pat de Creole and, uh, it was really a wonderful experience, actually. I truly enjoyed that. Didn't spend long enough, unfortunately, because we were always on the go. But it enables you to appreciate every culture, to learn more about, you know, the the customs and languages. And I was always, I've always been to this day interested in that, in history, geography, yes. mythology. You know, that's that's these are these are some of the things I, I truly enjoy. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. I want to talk about learning more about cultures because when you were last here, I, I told you I wasn't prepared for how powerful 
this show is going to be. I thought I'm watching yeah. a Western with Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren, and I'm excited for that. And in the midst of it, we get this plot of a young woman named Tiana Rainwater, and you play Father Renault, the Catholic priest in charge of this school that brutalizes kidnapped citizens, all indigenous girls from nearby tribes. Yeah. Everything we've heard about in the recent scandals in Canada, the physical, the sexual, the mental abuse that took place until Tiana rebels quite violently. Your character is very passionate and very convincing because you never play him as a villain. You play him as a true believer who is convinced he is trying to save the souls of savages. I'm okay. curious how your Catholic family responded to the character and, and how how it was a continuation of your spiritual growth, because I know you were raised Catholic. I was raised Catholic, actually. It's, it's something that I wasn't... I mean, you know, I started uh, my few form formative years as, as a Catholic and then sort of strayed away from it. My father didn't particularly encourage me to do it, but I, I did have that upbringing and was, had always been fascinated by the history surrounding, you know, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's something that truly has followed me to this day. I've read tons of books about it. You, you yourself, very kind much of an expert uh, at it. And I really appreciate actually your, your wisdom about it. I mean, it, it is, you know, my family, uh, you know, they, they, they watch it as a, as a performance, but it, you know, my mother's very much like, Oh my God, you are an awful human being in this. But you know, <laughs> I am only actually uh, a receptacle for the character that I'm given. And I think it's it's a brilliantly written character. It's, you know, if you do the research on those residential schools, it is a horrifying period in our history. We've talked about it, you know. And uh, what I appreciate is, is that we are talking about it. I think it's something yes. that is extremely important to talk about, especially in, in, in light of the scandal of residential schools in Canada, but we had them here Indeed. as well. And, uh, you know, we displaced tens of thousands of, you know, American Indians from their families to come and sort of, as they say in the text, you know, in the, in, in the lines, you know, get the Indian out of them, which was basically the purpose to sort of take out any form of custom of, of, of American Indian, Native American, custom out of these children and sort of turn them into sort of Catholics. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, you know, it's, I truly believe that this character, it's really interesting that you said that, you know, like, I'm not trying to play him as a bad guy at all. No, not at I all. think that these people, and that's what, you know, people like that of an extremist nature are the most dangerous because they truly believe in what they are doing. They have this sort of commitment to their extremism due to the fact that they've, in a way, grown up in a bubble, if, if that's all you say. You know, we're, we're seeing it all over the world in, in any form of extremism, of extreme religion all over the world. Yes. Fundamentalism and, of, all, of, all, of all faiths, because when you believe... Absolutely. When you believe that you are actually speaking for God, that you're on the side of Almighty God, and you don't want to do this, but you have to do it, when you believe that and have turned God into your property, we've seen how fundamentalists of any faiths will yes. violate all the tenets of that faith because of the spiritual hubris. If you had played this character as a villain, it yes. would have been cartoonish and vulgar and offensive to Catholics. Yeah. I've told every Catholic I know to watch the show, and you were right. It got worse. But it did, did get worse. But but the commitment, because all of yourself and the, the evil nuns, and I was raised around nuns, 
they all fervently believe because of their grooming and programming that they have to exercise this cruelty to save the souls of these Indian girls. But what's extraordinary to me is it's a fundamentally erroneous way of actually teaching the word. Basically, completely. Are, it seems that basically they are completely blind to what the true, I mean, you know, what is the true word? What is the true innocent word? Where does it come from? But it seems to come from a place of love, of help, of helping those who are less fortunate. But there is a sort of co-opting of the word. And, and yes. as I say, you know, whenever you put a uniform, whether it be a cassock, whether it be a uniform on someone who is going to lead a fundamentalist army, on someone who has knowledge of only one subject, yes, it can lead to grave consequences because it, you are living in a sort of cultish environment instead of actually receiving uh, knowledge from other parts, being multicultural. That's why I always said, you know, traveling is one of the most important things to do. If we gave a passport and gave uh, some money to every person who is who grows up with a sort of um, narrow-minded upbringing, these people will change. I just watched a, a really fascinating little uh, a short story, short, on New Yorker mag about this man who came back from... It was fascinating. I saw it on Instagram. It was a new. It's it's nominated for an Oscar. It's a thirty-minute short about a man who comes back after twenty-five years of being in the army and has gone to Iraq, Afghanistan. He comes back to Muncie, Indiana, Muncie, and it sees that across his home there is a, a center for a, a Muslim center. Yes. You know where they where basically all these people there, you know, receiving refugees and are helping the poor and everything. And he he basically, I mean, to cut a long story short, he wanted to bomb the place, but walked in one day, was a welcome with open arms, completely changed his life, basically, in a way, saved his life from his PTSD, you know, from the violence that he had lived for 25 years and, and converted to being a Muslim. You know, it, it was yeah. a, an extraordinary story of love, basically. Yes. So anyway, there are other ways. I am diverging, but I thought that no, story not at all. was really beautiful in, in showing that there is good. You know, if, if if you are preaching love and inclusion and tolerance, nothing can go wrong, really. I completely I mean, agree. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm being very idealistic, but but it's at the root, that's where the word is there. You're, you're exactly right. And, and that's what the world's great religions keep teaching us. Yeah. What I found so remarkable here was that we see these parallels in modern times to exactly what you portray in the residential schools, whether it be the family separation policy imposed on refugees in 2017, where children were taken from parents by the government with no system in place to ever return them, which is just what we did to the Indians and tried yes. to, to send them to school to turn them white. Or right now, the struggle we see of fundamentalist Christians who can't stop persecuting transgender children. And I, I debate them all the time, Sebastian. And I always well, say, I know well, you do. And, and, oh. and brilliantly. But, but what I, I say is, you know, show me where Christ says this, that you're supposed to persecute trans children. But they say to me, 
the, the, something that will sound very familiar to you. They say, we're doing this to save their souls. We're doing this out of love. We are persecuting them because we are good Christians and we don't want them to go to hell. And the same argument they use to be cruel to transgender children now is the exact argument the church used to brutalize indigenous children 100 years ago, as your yeah. series has so beautifully shown. Yeah. And for thousands of years, I mean, you know, we've used religion that has been used as a tool, as a conquering tool, as a colonizing tool. And, uh, you know, in, in in our case, I think that what's really interesting is to see basically that there is no salvation for these people, that it's interesting that, you know, in those days, the residential schools could have embraced uh, the practices of the American Indians who had, you know, extraordinary practices. I mean, I was, you know, I've been reading, you know, Empire of the Summer Moon about the Comanche Nation, which is yes. a really fascinating book. I think we talked about it. I can't remember. We did. Yes, sir. And, and, and you know, I was talking, I was reading also, uh, I'm diverging, but I'm reading also Jill Lepore's These Truths, which is an extraordinary mm -hmm. account of history and uh, about how when Columbus landed you know, in, in um, Hispaniola, which is basically Dominican Republic and Haiti now, he basically didn't care about learning about the customs of the Correct. country. He imposed. So there was this imposition of thoughts upon a people and, and instead of trying to understand the people, and there is always this sort of form of I am better than you. Again, I go back to the word. It's, it's never about I am better than you. It's let us help one another. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert in theology, but it always, you know, whenever I read it and I reread it again, I reread the New Testament, the Old Testament thinking, am I getting all these things wrong? Well, well, you know, where, where am I getting all these messages wrong, these messages of intolerance and yeah. hatred? And I can't find them as much. I mean, there is a lot of violence, you know, in, in the Old Testament, but I am still baffled by extremism. Same. I truly believe that openness of mind is basically you know they talk about the savior our savior is being open open of mind yes and and open of heart i don't know why i'm going there but you know it's because my character is so absolutely terrifying in his conviction but that's what makes him interesting you know at that's the same it time. and I that's think... what makes him not a villain that i mean yeah. he, he's the villain of the story but again you don't play it that way and I think that this open-heartedness and open-mindedness you speak of is two sides of the same coin. It's why you're so convincing as figures of morality and decency, and it's why you're so great as a horrible, <laughs> scary priest. Before I let you go, and I, yes. I thank you for staying, I, I have to ask one last question. I didn't ask you this last time, but I read since then that on the first day of the shoot, you yes. felt that you needed to issue an apology of sorts or a, an understanding uh, of sorts to the Native American cast members. Yes, that was actually before episode five, the one that you saw that was, ah, really goes very far. I was really in a room there. full of young uh, American Indian girls and Moses Brings Plenty was our consultant, was there, who is our consultant, who was a very important figure in the American Indian movement. And I, I there was something... I I became extremely emotional. I thought to myself, I'm I'm going to do something terrible. Even if we are recreating history, I need to say something before I do this this scene. Otherwise, I I I I I don't think I can go ahead with the scene. So I I stopped everything. I stopped the director. I was like, before we do anything, I want you know, I just want to 
apologized to Moses and to these young women who are in this room, because we are going to recreate something that is incredibly painful and possibly extremely triggering for all of you. And I just want to apologize for the treatment that was that you had been submitted to, even though this is this is a film, this is a recreation, but we, you know, this is historical violence that we're it's not gratuitous violence, it's historical Correct. violence that is extremely hard to watch, but harder to ignore. We cannot ignore these moments. So I needed to do it. You know, we Moses is such an extraordinary man, embraced me. And then we went on with the scene and uh, and it is it's a scene that really affected me, not only before. But afterwards, you know, you, you are after shooting these kind of scenes, you are spent, you know, emotionally with the young girl I was doing the scene to. It was it was something that was very, very triggering to her, especially members of her family had been to these residential schools. It's a brutal. So, scene. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, it's it's not because I apologize that I'm I'm a better person. It's as if something else was guiding me to apologize. It was beyond me. It was something also creating a better tone on set for a better scene as well. Yes, I think it gets a lot of tensions so. out of the way to get the tension out of the way. It really, it was, it was my, my motivation and it actually made things much easier in the performance of, of the scene. And uh, yeah. And I'm very proud of the work that everyone is doing. You know, the girl, uh, Amina Nieves, who's playing Tiana Rainwater is doing such an extraordinary job as, as an actress and Lena Robinson, who I was doing the scene with as well. You know, uh, these are very, very brave young ladies because uh, this is something that must, you know, be hurtful to their hearts. You know, <laughs> what is and, next? I, and, and I and I give kudos to Taylor Sheridan for telling the story. Uh, huge kudos! It's Absolutely. very important to tell that story. And by the way, c- congratulations on the high quality of the series. When you were here last, you talked about going down to watch Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren act together on set. And yeah. I, I so appreciated your sense of wonder. There's some really deep storytelling. There's so much wonderful. There is so much in this show for right wing people and so much in this show for left wing people. I can't believe it. What is next for you, sir? Well, next for me actually is going to be, uh, well, I have a few things uh, in the works, but next thing is second season of of 1923 because you don't know yet, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I shouldn't. (laughs) I spoiled it. No, no, no. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, it's been renewed for a second season. You know, who knows if I'll be in it or not. <laughs> I hope so. But, uh, hope, yes, I'm looking forward to that. But, uh, you know, I'm also, you know, a writer and I'm, of course. I've written a couple of scripts that I'm working on that I would like to develop. I mean, that one is in development and uh, that I'm hoping to direct. And uh, yeah, so all these things are going forward. But I'm very, very proud of the work that everyone is doing on 1923, not only, you know, the acting uh, part mm-hmm. of the film, but, you know, wh- when I look at Taylor Sheridan's writing, yes. you know, when I, whenever I read other scripts, I'm like, my God, Taylor Sheridan's writing is a delight for any actor. It is so easy to act when you're acting Taylor Sheridan's words. Yes. And also when you're bouncing off, you know, people like Jennifer Ely and Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren, of course, that's, that's a gift. But I, I also have to commend, you know, the the, the crew, uh, Ben Richardson, who's our director, is also our co-director of photography. And he has a way of working on set that is absolutely mesmerizing in the sense that it's a very tranquil set. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's talking to his five camera operators because we're shooting with five cameras. 
and his lighting and his understanding of of movement and the camera and of intimate scenes is just wonderful. And the production designer, kudos, you know. Production design on this show uh, is the crazy. Production it's, design, the art direction, the costumes, yeah. Every episode, it's visually, it's watching the Old West meet the Roaring Twenties. Yeah. And, and, and seeing the two genres overlap in ways I've never imagined visually before. It's and isn't really it wonderful? There is a sort of romantic sense. There's a sort of Hemingway-esque snows of Kilimanjaro for whom the bell tolls. Yes. You know, you just sort of splattered into it too. So you're, yes. it's like- You're out of Africa. Africa. Out of Africa is on top of this as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's something that we, that I haven't seen for a long time. And I I, I actually enjoy it as a fan. I really yes. Do. It's a I sweeping mean, adventure. There's, it there's really is, yeah. people attacked by tigers and elephants and ghost ships and yeah. ranchers. Yes. It's Quite a, quite I'm glad a you like it. I'm, re I'm really Very glad much. you like it. Yeah. Well, I I'm glad everyone. you came back. Thank you. I'm so uh, glad I came back. It's always a pleasure. And, you know, thank uh, you. keep on doing what you do. I, I really, really love what you do. And I, I love the way your mind works. So thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's an honor to have you on to talk craft, to talk history, and to talk this beautiful show. Please come back anytime. I'd love anytime. to talk more about Nazis and new popes and everything else you've played. <laughs> yes. Sebastian Roche, what a great joy. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, John.